0: this the decade of action for climate change, possibly the last chance for humanity to kind of turn this around. And so we felt we have a huge, huge responsibility. So we set ourselves this goal of trying to reach hundred million people around the world by the end of this decade, like almost ridiculous goal for an organization our size.
1: That's Mick Kelly, founder of GIY, social entrepreneur, author, TV presenter, and hacker grower. Mick worked in the IT industry for 10 years before starting GIY in 2008 after a chance encounter with a pesky bulb of Chinese garlic in a supermarket. And in this episode of Your Truth Shared, we explore the idea of the social enterprise, what it takes to dream big, and then go about the business of making it happen practically and resolutely. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you. Because great marketing is your truth shared. This is a conversation that I've wanted to have for some time because uh, most of you know that I'm really interested in the entrepreneurial journey. And this for me is this really beautiful journey because I have memories of Mick moving into Arc Labs, which is an innovation center here in Waterford City. And we both were in that space for a while. But I remember this idea of a lot of hustle, building a community, trying to get things done um, and really moving. And you were always so really busy. And then to where you are now, which is a global movement, which I read on your website, which, and let me just read this for everybody, which is, our mission is to educate and enable a global movement of food growers whose collective actions will help to rebuild a sustainable food system. And I'd really like to understand how you got from all this hustle of and this idea of this garlic bulb, which we'll start with, I think, right through to where you are now. Uh, so welcome, Big. So delighted you could join me.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think um, a whole lot of hustle could be uh, could be on my gravestone. Maybe <laughs> it feels like a good <laughs> yeah, a good strap it. line. So it's still a whole lot of hustle, Finoli. You'd be glad to hear.
1: Okay, cool. Why don't you share with everybody the garlic story? Because that I think, because I love this idea of where does the idea come from.
0: Yeah. So um, basically, like back in back in the. Um, I suppose around the mid mid early to mid two thousands, I was kind of, I was working, um, in the IT industry at the time. And I was kind of, um, you know, just like, like most people kind of liked to eat and cook and so on, but was, um, very much not really thinking about where my food was coming from. And, um, just had a kind of road to Damascus moment in the supermarket. Um, some some garlic I was about to buy. It was in a supermarket not too far away from where I'm sitting now. Um and it said uh I just noticed on the, the label it it said it was product of China. Um and it just kind of caught my imagination, I suppose, that it was it was China, you know, it was so far away and it was um probably the first time I'd seen a, a an import, a food import from China. Um, so that was just the start of it like getting curious about about the food system and where my food came from and started growing my own garlic and you know really badly at first like not having a clue um what i was doing and planting things upside down and all sorts of of fun and games but um over time i think it just i i always kind of uh think about food growing as like a gateway drug into into all sorts of other sustainability behaviors you know you start to kind of if you're only growing five percent of the food you eat it, it sort of changes the other 95 percent because you're sort of you have that bit more knowledge your behavior changes your attitudes to food change so it's that was really what what sort of struck me at the time and and giy then i started it in 2008 uh really as a way to um mm. you know to bring bring people together and inspire them to 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 get started
1: can i ask how did you go from growing things yourself and i like this idea of it changes everything else but where did you go from growing something yourself to building something uh tangible or community or commercial i mean they may have all been different uh different steps on the journey but you went from your home and your family to growing yourself, growing it yourself, to thinking and feeling and knowing ultimately that you could have other people do the same thing. What was the moment that you switched from just you to everybody else?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Like, I I think really uh, there was two things like they just they say there's no zealot like a convert. So I think I was just fired up and, and passionate about it and wanting to get other people involved. But then I, I also think I just, I was aware there was a sort of a gap there, you know, that there was nowhere for people like me to go to kind of, um, you know, to, to find out more. And like, it's probably uh, not exactly pre-internet days, but not not far off. And so I suppose it was kind of, it was a little bit of, you know, this, there's nothing out there for me to join. Like there was gardening clubs and things, but I, I was, you know, I was interested in food only I wasn't interested in the gardening side of it so much it was all about producing food so I think I think there was a sense that there was a gap there that um and 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 pretty much straight away I mean the original GOY group meeting happened in in the library in September 2008 in the city library in Watford and there was um I'd literally just put an ad in the paper and um uh said you know come along if you're interested in growing your own food and and like loads of people showed up i think there was like 80 or 100 people or something the first night so were you shocked yeah completely um completely (laughs) shocked but i think there was immediately the sense that jesus there, you know there's there's this demand out there for for something and then then it went from one group to to many groups because like um a few people kind of got in touch to say, I've heard about this, this group in Waterford, like, can I, can I set one up in my own community? So this, the second one was, was in Tremor, and then there was one in Euross and, and Thomastown and Kilkenny and stuff. And it just started to sort of, to spread from there. So I think within a year, probably by, by the following September, 2009, we were, we were we were of a mind, you know, that some of the original people who were involved in the Waterford group, we were sort of of a mind to turn this into, you know, a national organization. Um, and that was the that was the sort of early stages of it, you know.
1: I, I find and then again, this is also very interesting. Like you tapped into something that you were just aware of and then you tried it and then it just evolved and exploded again. and what was also very interesting to me is you were one of the first people that I kind of knew of and were around that understood this idea of social enterprise. When did that click in? So you moved to having all these multiple communities and then is the consciousness that happened that you could do something else with it, which means that you started to think maybe, well, here's a question. Did you start to think maybe I could make a living at this or was it a loftier goal at that point?
0: I, I i think the ambition was pretty limited at that stage it was very much a, a kind of a national mm. thing but i think how i got sort of into the social enterprise was was very much by accident i i we applied for some funding from an organization called social entrepreneurs ireland um in in probably twenty two thousand and nine rather um and originally it was it was like a tiny pot of money like five five grand or something like that and it was It was really to to fund an event we were trying to run to sort of you know spread the word um and that that sort of you know we got the funding but we we also got sort of introduced into this network of of um thinking around social entrepreneurship and and just exposure to what it was you know and and i do remember that initial because it was it was all voluntary and Unpaid work at the start, and then there was that transition into thinking, well, this could actually be, you know, a, a social business, effectively, and um, could be, you know, could be, um, I could make a living from this, and and have a living for other people as well from it. So I think there was a bit of a hang up at the time. I remember feeling a bit odd about that, like how 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 will mm. other people view that? Did, did I just set it up to to create a living for myself, kind of thing? But I I, I think it was just. It was a very gradual thing, and then really, we weren't a social enterprise, I don't think, for the first three four years, really uh, in our approach, because to me, like a social enterprise, it earns its living, like it's out selling products and services um, to to fund the work, whereas we were very grant funded at the beginning, um, but I mm. think it was in later stages, then maybe from you know twenty thirteen fourteen on, that we really started to think about. What what, how we would fund the work and creating a proper social enterprise that was generating income and by selling you know products and services that that help people to grow food, so I think that came that came a little bit later. The reality of being a social enterprise do
1: you think it's um do you think it's still a relatively new thing? I mean, I get the sense it's still a little bit left of center to have a social enterprise. Like how do you feel of it as a model? Like it's completely changed how you guys work and operate. And it's quite forward thinking and it's potentially an antidote to the um the extreme awfulness of capitalism. I'm kind of interested in what you feel about it because you would have been at the start.
0: I think it's a it's a loss better known now than when 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 i started out first like there was um very little understanding of what what it was and what it meant um i think that's improved a lot i think government understands it better and is is out there actively trying to support the sector um so i think it's imp- it's improved a lot it, it's not universally understood i guess there's still confusion i think about like where is where the there are a lot of charities out there for example that are social enterprises um um that that aren't really i i, I don't think you know they they i to me it's a very specific mindset where you're you're effectively a mission orientated business is, is how i would view social enterprise so it's sort of if you draw draw a sort of a continuum between charities at one end and for-profit businesses at the other I think social enterprise occupies a space in the middle, but it's not, it's not completely sort of a single point on that spectrum. You know, it's, it's a sort of, a it's, 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 a like a part of that spectrum. And I think, um, some social enterprises are much more like charities and some are much more like businesses and, and, and everything in between, you know?
1: And I also get the sense that we kind of need all those, uh, points on the spectrum as a world you know we can't nothing is black and white that everybody needs to move to a social enterprise or uh this i mean there is a need for everything on that continuum
0: i agree with that yeah i think some of the most interesting stuff perhaps is happening at the at the, the the profit end of that spectrum you know like with b corps and so on who are you know business is so powerful i think i think um Seeing some businesses going into the B Corp space where they're where they're, um, you know, they have that kind of double bottom line. I suppose of income and impact. I think is really interesting as well. So I think you're right. I think the blend is very important.
1: Cool. The next stage. So you got to you know looking at Ireland uh, eating a bit healthier. What happened then to take it beyond Ireland?
0: Well, I suppose that's, that's probably a more recent development. I think that were in the last, in the last couple of years in particular. Um, I mean, I, mean, I, I guess at the start of this decade, we, we were sort of looking around us at, at, um, at climate change and, you know, the, the rea- looking at the reality of the food system, which is, which is, um like a fairly grim grim picture like it's the most it's one of the biggest mm. contributors to global greenhouse gases and probably the biggest contributor to to deforestation and biodiversity loss and soil degradation and so on so it's it's a it's a deeply flawed system i think um mm. and you, you know with massive problems like at, at a global scale that that need to be kind of changed i think you've got like um all of the the um the impacts that that food system has towards towards climate change and we're we're still going to have to feed another two or three billion people by the end of 2050 and um, you've got all of this kind of concentration of power in, into you know a very small number of 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 corporate entities you've got you know almost like a global standard diet now that's that's kind of um very reliant on 10 or 12 kind of mega crops around the world. So, so very, you know, very kind of homogenous, unstable system in some ways that's very vulnerable to all these external shocks that we're seeing like pandemics and, you know, weather, Mm. extreme weather events and war and so on. So like, I I think we, we were very conscious that we built an organization that could, could do run programs that, um, support people to grow their own food and develop a more sustainable approach to 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 living and that were very successful and very scalable like we were we were reaching you know five six hundred thousand people a year something like that as by by the turn of the the decades and we felt we had a, a responsibility to um to do as much as we possibly could so the un had designated this the decade of action for climate change possibly the last chance for for humanity to kind of turn this around and so we felt we have a huge huge responsibility so we set ourselves this this goal of of reaching trying to reach 100 million um people around the world by the end of this decade which is like a like almost ridiculous goal for an organization our size and and you know um, but we just felt we have to try and do something, and and so we're we're deep in the trenches, Fanula, of trying to figure out the kind of organisation and the kind of partnerships we need, and the kind of um, organisational strength and resources that we need to have to achieve that 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 target. So it's we're right at the beginning of it. To be frank, I mean we've we've got some things happening at a global uh, level in terms of. Um, our TV series is, is out on Amazon prime around the world and so on. Um, but in terms of program delivery, it's really, it's really here in the UK at the moment and it needs to, we need a huge step up in the next two to three years to, to sort of, um, like a, like literally a quantum leap in, in, in scale and ambition to try and get ourselves on a trajectory to, to hit that number. And it's a, it's a very challenging thing that that is keeping us keeping us up all night at the moment, figuring out how we're going to do that
1: again. I mean, it's it's incredible and it's uh, powerful because I still come back to this idea you're going into the library and you're amazed by 80 people yeah. and you're <laughs> thinking I could take a little step here. And then and often I think because I'm always really curious about entrepreneurs who have great vision and the more that I speak to entrepreneurs with great vision, I'm, I'm starting to realize that it's, it's an incremental vision that while it may look like it's, you know, awe-inspiring and the heavens opened and all that kind of lightning happened, actually it's possibly more incremental than it is the bolt of lightning that comes. Um, Would you say that's true or? Uh,
0: Completely. Like, I don't think the plan was fully baked at all, you know, at any stage. I think, I think it's, it's always evolving, um. I don't think we like. I think when we started, we were all about supporting these GIY groups around the country, and I think in t- over a couple of years, I got frustrated with the pace, the pace of that, and and it's it's very small scale. Like it's it's you know fifty or eighty people meeting in a library or less. Um, even even if you've got loads of, n- of nodes in that system, it's still very small scale and. So we started running kind of campaigns and programs probably around 2013 that were much more mass market and much more, you know, much more scalable. And um, we have a program with, that was funded by Innocent called the Big Grow for primary schools that reached Sorry. like half a million people um or half a million children around the UK and Ireland. So they're the kind of, I think once we started doing them and getting good at doing them, that that gave us, I think, the confidence um, to to set those much much bigger goals. But now it's like to reach a hundred million people. You're into you're into kind of how do you scale them out like really dramatically around the world, and that's a whole other step change as well.
1: Just one other thing I'd just like to talk about is. Often when I, again, when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, I'm, you know, thinking about the vision thing. And then I, I go, my my brain goes to, wow, that takes great courage to do this, what you're trying to achieve here. And then there's a word that you've just used in this um, conversation, and it's the word of responsibility. So I wonder, is it courage or responsibility that gives you the guts yeah, or courage, whatever, to have a, ch- a chink in the armor of those few small organizations that control our food system.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a no. It is. It's a brilliant question. I I think it's probably a combination of of all of those things. Probably a healthy dose of ego as well is 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 important into
1: okay cool into
0: the mix too. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I think for sure you have yeah. to be a bit of a, a bit of an egomaniac maybe to think that you can achieve those kind of things, but. um, I think I think definitely I feel the responsibility very. Like I I I don't know about you, but I look at I look at the news these days, and I just I, I I unless you're able to sort of say to yourself that you're doing something, um, you're doing something kind of to to try and fix it. You're you're kind of it's it's just really overwhelming. So I at least I feel yeah. I can look myself in the mirror and say you know I'm doing trying to do something about it at this stage. You know.
1: I think we all could do more of that. Actually, you you inspire me to do more of that, to look and see it's possible. You know, you know, that whole one liner of every person can make a difference. I I remember being at an event several years ago and being told not one one person can't make a difference and having a stand up argument in a in an entrepreneur's group to say, well, if I believed that I would go home if I couldn't make a difference. Yeah. And I think I think we could, we can all do more. The other thing that's interesting to me is as well when I speak to entrepreneurs about vision or mission, you know, of what are you here for, what are you trying to achieve. Often there's a reticence to really fully embrace that heartfelt, really gut centered thing that they want to change in the world, and it's that I really love that about DIY that you are ballsy enough, responsible enough. Ego maniacally enough (laughs) going for it to actually um, embrace that mission.
0: Yeah, I do think there's also a really important point. I think around you know vision setting or goal setting or whatever you want to call it that it it has it has its own organizing power. You know, if that doesn't sound like I don't want it to sound like sort of spiritual intention setting or anything like that, but I do feel you know. When you set yourself a goal, um, it 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 forces you to sort of actually think about what are the steps to achieve that. Like, and I just I just do think this something something shifts and things start to happen. So I remember hearing this guy speaking about this, like saying, you know, the the when when John F. Kennedy set the, the goal to, that he was going to put a man on the moon. Like mm. you can imagine the mm. the sort of engineers and NASA the next day had to sit down and sort of start to figure out, like, how the hell are we going to do that? You know, and it's the same, I think, with the 100 million GeoWires goal. It's like it's 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 talked about every day in our organization. And, and we're all sort of sort of thinking about, like, what are the steps we have to take? And I do think when you do that. Like doors open and opportunities happen if you believe in sort of synchronicity and all that stuff. I, I, which, which I do. I think just people, people come to help and doors open and you know opportunities happen and partnerships occur that you know wouldn't ha- wouldn't happen if you didn't set that goal. So I think even though sometimes it sounds a bit a bit crazy to be setting these big big audacious goals, I think they're also critically important. Um, in an operational sense if that makes if that makes sense you know they just they they come with their own organizing power i think you know
1: i love the key thing i got from that is you said we talk about it every day and i noticed as well because when i was you know just refreshing my uh uh familiarity with giy i looked at wow there's huge amounts of effort uh into culture for giy that surely forms part of the talk about it every day thing.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I think that's true. We, we've, um, you know, we, we, we set, um, we have a culture book in, in the organization that's, um, I suppose like we always felt, you know, the employee handbook is a very, it's a very dry kind of, um, you know legal legalistic documents that's very important obviously but nobody really ever reads them <laughs> yeah um you know it's like 80 pages long and it sits sits in a in a in a folder or whatever but um the culture book is a very important part of our induction process and the ongoing training we do with staff that it governs like how we work um and you know the kind of energy and and uh, approach that we take to that work I think um, it's 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 more important, I think, as the organisation grows and staff numbers grow, that you you hold on to that culture book. And we've got like f- you know five core values that that um, are very important to us, like be being brilliant and being you know bringing creativity to everything we do and being ambitious and bold and so on. These are very very important values to us. But having the kind of north star like. Goals that are that are kind of internalized by everyone, I think, are are really are really important. And it took us, I think, a year or so for the hundred million GIs. I think originally there was a lot of people probably felt, "Cheese, that's just bonkers." You know, it's 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 um it's such a huge number. But I think it, over time, it just it became a systemic part of the the work that we do, and everyone understands that. That's that's the road that we're on. Did you
1: come up with a number collectively?
0: It actually happened, believe it or not, in the Mansion Room in Dublin. There was a there was um a session for uh, for boards of social enterprises and charities that we went to, and myself and t- two of our directors were there, and um, that's where that number was was kind of first mentioned. Because like the rationale for it was, I suppose, we were reaching about a million people a year. Uh, already um with 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 our program so like a 10-year a decade-long goal you know 10 million wouldn't be much of a stretch target so somebody said sure why not 100 million then you know we're like yay 100 million was like all fired up about that and then of course I I had to sort of make my way back to Waterford back to the team and say you know this is what we've been thinking what do you think you know and everyone like um but you know I think I think um it feels appropriately I think they were like probably, "Jesus, here he comes again," with his mad ideas originally. <laughs> but I think um, I think there's just a sense that something needs to happen to create a tipping point in the system, and, and we're good at doing running programs at scale and that kind of mass market, you know, movement building is something we're we're really good at. So I don't think anybody, when you think about it and break it down, I don't think anybody feels you know, it's, it's ridiculous. I think there's a sense that it's, it's, um, it's going to take a lot of work out and there's a few really pivotal changes that need to happen in the organization to achieve it. But it's absolutely, what you know, it's, it's, it's your life's work sort of thing, isn't it? It's like, gotta, gotta step up and do this. Like nobody else is going to do it, you know?
1: I love it. Why is, brilliance and creativity important values
0: i think we've just always been like that you know i think we've 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 always brought a sort of um i suppose the original people around the table like there was always a sense that even though we're small we want the work to be brilliant you know that it shouldn't be i don't know do you know like just that sort of do-gooders like um kind of approach that it's just it's it's kind of really well-intentioned therefore it doesn't have to be brilliant I think we felt it had to be brilliant and well-intentioned and and definitely some of the people involved from day one were you know had that creative marketing the marketing chops as well that are really important part of it you know
1: I can see the brilliance it's interesting You, The other milestone for me for DIY was when you decided to actually buy a piece of land in the center of Waterford and to build your own DIY HQ. And And you probably, I don't know how the phrase was coined, but now everyone calls it Grow HQ, like you've named it. And it's such a great place to go. But that was also evidence, I think, of brilliance. I mean, to have, again, the balls, the courage to go. Why not? Is is that how that started, or was that just why did you decide to do that?
0: Um, do you know what put it into my head originally was? I I I got invited to speak at this thing called the Do Lectures in in Wales, and it's it's held in a place called Forest, um, which is as it, as it would suggest it's a it's a it's a kind of a meeting space and a, an event space in a forest in Wales and. It just really struck me that what we were missing at the time was a sense of place. You know, we had no, we had an office uh, like originally in our clubs, as you say, and um, more more after that, we were we had an office in the Williamstown Centre in Waterford. and But we had no, we didn't have a place to sort of bring people and show them our view of the world. Um, so that was the sort of starting point. Um, and we went and discussed it with... Um, with the council and this was a piece of land that was kind of unused. It was, it was, um, it was zoned open space, which meant it couldn't really be developed. Um, and we just, we just pitched, pitched it to the council and they, you know, in fairness to them, they had a very, very visionary kind of decision, I think, to sort of say, well, look, um, let's, let's support this organization to try and do this. And they gave us the site. Um, um which was very generous you know it's a very valuable very valuable mm. piece of land in a very good location in Waterford um and that was that was really it but like yeah to speak to the to the sort of the courage side of it I mean, I, I remember some very some very kind of hair break hair raising uh, heartbreaking moments along the way trying to raise the money to build this place because it was it was a big big chunk of change and a few few moments where you just you kind of a nice dark night of the soul almost where you're really being tested like do you have do you have what it takes to 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 kind of pull this off and and keep going for it and we had a an actual a moment where i remember we had to um sign sign the contract with the builder when we hadn't the complete funding kind of um, stack in place for it. And, and that was like, I, I remember photos being taken of us signing the contract with the builder and me look, looking at the photos and thinking like, you know, feeling like a fraud almost, you know, I didn't have the money uh, to do it. and And you just have to like kind of make a decision. Again, it's like the organizing power of decisions. You have to make the decision to actually take the leap off and say, I'm going to actually go for this. And that means you you just have to do it you know it's not a question of um choice at that stage then you just have to get the rest of the funding together and of course we did and got the place open and so on so one of the other values that i didn't mention is be resolute you know because i think all business owners um and leaders need that resilience it's the it's the absolute probably the most important one i think beyond the vision beyond the creativity and the work ethic and so on just just that being able to bounce back from problems and uh to be resilient is I think the whole the whole job, you know.
1: Did you ever see failure?
0: Yeah, I think in your in your in your dark light da- of the soul. In your dark yeah. thoughts, I think you do. Um but resilience is being able to see them and just keep going anyway, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder is that you a refusal to entertain them, is that a way of looking at them? because sometimes i think you just have to just push through and just not even pay attention to it i i don't know how do you feel about that
0: i th- i think i think um you pay attention to them for sure and you 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 kind of honor them but then you just replace them with with a more you know with a forward looking thought that that would be my my approach you know and and to recognize that they're yeah. just thoughts like they're not they don't have any any real power in their own right unless you give it to them i think that's that's an important way to think about it um but you know that yeah, that's like that. that's the day in day out kind of hustle of for any business owner i think where you're kind of mm. you're constantly challenged with those thoughts that that doesn't change maybe um as as you get bigger the just the nature of the challenges just changes
1: the other thing i kind of wanted to ask you about was do you get this sense that when if we are strong enough or uh, courageous enough to state this vision or this mission that we want to change the world in this way in our own individual ways that i i keep coming across this of somebody really embraced what we were doing somebody really loved that we were doing it and i get this sense that as human beings we might so while in ourselves you might feel mm, do i think i can do that and can i actually really go for it and yet People are ready to receive that really powerfully. And I think it often surprises us. You know, you you when you told that story of the council actually, you know, giving you a chance, do you think that's more common than we realise?
0: Um, I, I mean, I think there's been support, support for us all along the way from different from different um organizations and partners that you couldn't you couldn't have done done it without them you know i think about the the original sort of ecosystem supporters like social entrepreneurs ireland and ashoka and rethink ireland and um the even the arthur guinness fund originally you know all all of those kind of initial um organizations and funds that kind of that that backed us i suppose to do to do what we wanted to do and even when we were trying to build build this place um the local council and the local enterprise office you know there's there's absolutely loads of support out there i think for for visionary ideas um and it's just it's just a question of kind of finding them i think and plugging into them and um and then delivering on on their behalf i suppose
1: i can cuz i like this idea that so often entrepreneurs feel like they're on their own when in actuality they really aren't
0: no and i, I like i think it's in it's absolutely critical that you surround yourself with with the network of of people like that's why you know getting plugged into that network of social entrepreneurs was so important to me at the beginning because you know as you say otherwise it would be a very a very lonely space and um, and i and I suppose what replaced that for me later on was the the leadership team that's that's around me now as as an organization is is um you know that's that's the that's the sort of community i suppose that shares the journey with with the with the ceo or the the founder in an organization in in later stages maybe um and the board of course um we have a voluntary board of directors who are incredibly you know they they back um i suppose the vision and the organization with their time and with their you know the legal obligations that come with being a director as well that's a very significant give from them as well that's that's very much appreciated mm.
1: tell me one last question for you so if someone else had a dream much like you or a garlic story moment just standing in the supermarket is there a piece of advice you'd love to leave them with or inspire them with
0: i mean i i, I think it's not it's not all a bed of roses like i'll just caveat caveat what i'm going to say with 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 mm. that because it's it's tremendously hard work and and challenging at times but you know the the japanese talk about um this concept of of icky which is like a it's like the sweet spot when when you when you work at something that you're that you know Th- this sort of cliche that gets thrown around if you work work with something you love, you'll never work a day of your life i don't I don't mm. really buy into that, but I do think there is a sweet spot of where you're working at something that you're you're bloody good at like you can do it better than anybody else um the world needs it you know I think that that's that's a critically like the mis the sense of mission i think is really important, like obviously you also need to get get paid first you know and get get a decent living out of it i think that's really important as well um like so if you can combine all of those things then you are you are in a kind of in a in a space where you're working at something that's truly you know a life's work like that's what it feels like i couldn't i couldn't imagine myself doing anything else um so that's that feels like a very privileged space to be in so i'd say if you if you've got that idea like life is short and, and um there's there's enough problems out there that that you put your attention to fixing one of them and um um do something do something valuable with your time. You know, we only get one one spin on the merry go round as it were, so just make, make the most of it. So if you're on the fence thinking maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, I'd say absolutely you
1: should. Well thank you so much for your time. That's just been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thanks
0: for thanks for having me.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to find out more about Mick, check out the GIY website at giy.ie. And if you'd be so kind to share this episode with someone you know who would find it valuable, I would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to reach out to me about the podcast or anything else, you can connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash I N forward slash Howard. And I'll be back next week with another great guest. And until then, take care.